listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Thirsty Thursday Women's Online Wellness. I'm your host Dr. Ron Eaker. I am a real doctor. I don't just play one on Facebook. But it's great that you're with us tonight. We're in a pre-debate show. Tonight is October the 22nd. We've got the second and I pray to the good Lord up above the final debate. I mean, kind of consider me tonight the... Uh, I'm your opening act for this six-round prize fight. Get ready to rumble! I mean, in honor, I tell you what, in honor of tonight's debate, I'm going to interrupt myself about 48 times throughout this talk. No, you won't. Yes, you will. No, you won't. You're an idiot. You're stupid. Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, you have bad hair. I mean, is that where we are at? in this country today? Is this the best we can do? Civility has gone the way of the dodo or the green-lipped snail darter, which is extinct, by the way, if you didn't know. In the words of Rodney King, can't we just all get along? And that kind of ties into what we're talking about tonight because everything ties into this in this day and time. It's just, it's nuts. We're going crazy. And it's not just all COVID, although that's playing a big role in it. It's kind of a combination, the perfect storm. 2020 is the perfect storm of insanity. We've got this pandemic. We've got a presidential election that is very much like no other in the history. Uh, Although, if you read history and you're a student of history, you would be shocked at some of the stuff that was said back in the 1700s and 1800s about candidates. I mean, you think we call people names now. You should read history about what went on back in our founding. Those guys didn't hold back. I mean, they were just downright nasty at times. So history does tend to repeat itself, but I believe we've reached a new pinnacle in our history as it relates to incivility in, or maybe it's uncivility, not being civil in our discourse And that kind of leads to what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about pandemic fatigue. But more importantly, how you can survive this and how you can keep yourself from going insane in a truly insane world. A world that has been turned upside down in almost every aspect of our social being. So stick with me. It's not going to take long tonight because I know you've got to get at least one or two bottles of Merlot down before the debate to be able to tolerate it. So I'm not going to cut into your Merlot time, I promise you. So, every day, every single day, we are just bombarded left and right through every perceived media possible, whether it's the internet or television or social media or the cesspool of the internet, Twitter, We're just constantly berated and painted this picture of doom and gloom as it relates to the coronavirus and the pandemic. We're told daily of the horrible statistics and we're we're constantly being told of the 
horrible. I mean, there are whole people who spend nothing but their entire day posting pictures of folks who've had problems from COVID. And I get that. I understand that there's, there's a lot of things we have to grieve. But the reality is we're making it a lot worse in our brains than it truly is in the reality. We're just banging these, doom, these drums of doom too loud and too constant. Yes, cases are rising in the U.S. higher than they've been before. We're seeing in Europe, we're seeing cases increase, a resurgence, and everybody's freaking out except for those that are not freaking out because they're so fatigued with hearing about it all. What we need is rational, clear, unbiased thinking, not this judgmental political lunacy that has surrounded this problem, engulfed it, devoured it, and now it's pooping it out the back end, and nobody knows really what's right, what's true, who to believe, and who not to believe. So yes, why are these cases of COVID up? Why are we seeing this resurgence? Well, there's a number of reasons. It's the fall in the U.S., if you're watching this U.S., and I suspect most of you are, and people are just getting closer together. They're staying inside more. Now, if you're in any place else but Augusta, Georgia, it's actually getting cooler and people are, are, are staying inside more. In Augusta, you know, we're still in the, it feels like the middle of summer in most days. But it's colder outside. People are going indoors. They're around, the, around other people more. We've known from the very beginning of this that the best place to be to not get the COVID is outside. But that obviously, when the weather gets rough, that's hard to do. Obviously, school has reopened in a lot of places. And there's no question that that has contributed to the increased number of cases. Uh, kids get COVID. There's no question. Everybody, that's, that's, that's established. And they can spread it. But a lot of times they get sick, but they don't get very sick. In fact, a lot of times they don't get sick at all. But these are kind of, what was that? I heard something, got distracted. Oh, I think, I think my phone is on and I said something that sounded like Siri. Does that ever happen to you guys where you're just talking and you say something that sounds like Siri and it starts talking to you? Freaks me out sometimes. Anyway. Uh, you can definitely tell this is live. This is, this is really live. Uh, but these kids get sick and they're counted as cases. But what we also note is hospitalizations and deaths are down. And new hospitalizations and deaths are down. Now granted, that's a lagging indicator. Most of the time those things follow when you see the rise in cases but we're not seeing the same level. And why is that different now? What's different now? Because remember, at the very beginning of this problem, the whole concept was not, we're not gonna eliminate COVID, we're not gonna get rid of it. People are going to get sick. The goal was to flatten the curve, to keep the hospitals so that they're not swamped, they're not overwhelmed, they're not people laying in the halls because there's no beds. That was the goal. It was never to eliminate the virus. We knew that we're, we're not going to eliminate deaths. So that's why all the processes that got into place initially 
to preserve PPE for healthcare workers who needed it, uh, to prohibit capacity. Um, but now we're seeing people do much better because we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot in these past several months. We know now that there are certain treatments that are helpful, dexamethasone, remdesivir, even the, uh, the uh, uh, monoclonal antibody cocktail that is being used now. So we have better treatments, we have better techniques, better management. We understand now some people shouldn't be intubated, some people should. They should be laying prone versus not. So we know a lot more and that's one of the big reasons that people are not having the same level of, of morbidity and mortality. Also, we're seeing younger, healthier people get COVID and we know that they're at lower risk for these other complications. So there's a multitude of reasons why hospitalizations and death are going down. So what has all this brought? And I don't need to tell you, but it's wrecked the economy in many ways, especially small business owners. Uh, you know, try, try starting a new practice model in an economy like this. It's been an incredible challenge for me trying to introduce people to a new way of thinking about their health and wellness in a time frame where the economy is going through gyrations that we never anticipated. So it's definitely affected the economy. We've seen a rise in overdoses. We've seen a rise in substance abuse. Uh, the one thing I think about all the time is the number one cause of stress and strain in marriages is financial issues. Well, welcome to 2020. I don't know any family out there who's not at some point dealt with some of the issues created by the pandemic, strictly if we just look at the economy. If, if, we, if you're not been affected physically or a family member had been physically, you've been touched economically. And that sets up a whole cascade of issues related to stress and unintended consequences of all the things that have been going on. So no doubt, and I haven't seen this statistic, but it'll be fascinating, probably in about nine months, we're gonna see a rapid rise in two things. One, we're gonna see a lot more births because folks are getting bored and don't have anything else to do. And we're also gonna see a rise in divorces because they're getting bored and don't have anything else to do. So it's gonna be interesting to see the fallout of this as we write the history of this down the road. People are dying more of overdoses. Uh, we were kind of getting a handle on some of this opioid crisis and problems. Well, now that's backslid. That's, that's not, we're not able to wrap our heads around that as much and do as much about that tremendous crisis because of all the resources that are now going toward the COVID or the anxiety resulting from dealing with COVID. Did you know I read this the other day? This was fascinating that there's a 22% increase in alcohol purchases over the last few months. Now, some of that, of course, is people can't go into bars and get their, uh, get their drinks there. But I don't have to tell you what that potentially will lead to if you're seeing uh, 
if you just interpret that as meaning that, well, maybe the drinking rate's gone way up. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but it's a reaction to stress, self-medication. And it's just another example of the changes that we're going through. We become so fixated and so captivated by the physical problems, and we should because they're very serious ramifications of this real virus, this real disease, but we can't forget about the secondary effects. We know that that probably down the road may have a higher impact because that's affecting everybody, not just those that actually get the virus, but everybody is affected by the financial, the stress, the strain, the isolation. And this is really what is creating this pandemic fatigue. People are just getting fed up with it. Everybody I see in the office right now, their response to this is, I'm so sick of this. I'm so tired of this. And my fear is that we get so fatigued with it that we put our guard down and we stop doing the things that we need to continue to do to prevent problems down the future. We knew back in the spring, we knew that there was going to be a rise in cases in the fall, whether it was secondary to the seasonal nature of coronaviruses, whether it was secondary to the changes in society with going back to school or resumption of sporting events, whatever it was, we knew that there was going to be a rise. We just hadn't done a very good job at dealing with the emotional side effects and problems associated with that. Every day, every day we're being pounded from every source. And this crosses all political spectrums. I don't care if all you do is watch one particular station or another, or you get your news from one source or another, you're all being bombarded by the doom and gloom associated with this. Because, you know, it's the old story with news, you know, doom and gloom sells. You know, you don't read about a, a story about a dog biting a man. You read a story about a man biting a dog. So the same thing has universally applied to any form of media. Uh, disaster sells. That's what people want to see. So here's the problem, and here's partially some of the solution. I want you to really think about this as you go about your day both tonight, especially during this debate. This will be an interesting way to, to test out what I'm about to tell you is apply it to what you hear tonight. Every day our thought leaders are out there talking about this and filtering it through their own confirmation bias. That is a term that I want you to tattoo on your brain. Confirmation bias. What is that? It's the tendency to search for, to interpret, to favor, or to even recall information in a way that confirms or supports your prior beliefs or values. So consciously or unconsciously, we all do this. We select out for things that support what we already believe. And I'm not throwing stones. I do this as much as anybody. I've noticed this myself. I mentioned before, a part of my everyday is scanning through the medical literature. There's several services that provide different 
studies and articles just so I can keep abreast of the most current across different specialties so I can use that to present to you and in my own practice. But I find myself gravitating towards certain areas that kind of confirm what I'm already thinking about, ignoring maybe a study that would refute what I believe about, let's say, a certain supplement or a certain uh, medication or a certain approach to a medical problem. If it's something that I'm used to doing and I believe in, and a study comes out that contradicts that, I catch myself not spending as much time looking at that as I would at something that supports what I already believe. And all of us do that. Here's the problem. The news you consume, the things you watch, the things you hear, the things you see are being filtered through two confirmation biases. It's the person who's presenting it, whether it's a TV anchor, whether it's a pundit, whether it's a writer, whether it's a podcaster, whether it's a Facebook Live, every bit of information you are getting is already being filtered through the confirmation bias of the presenter. There's no way around it. I don't care how fair and balanced someone may say they are, just the fact that they're presenting, unless they just sit there and list facts, and even doing that sometimes is deceptive, with, with no context, with no understanding of where those facts come from and what they apply. First of all, nobody would read it because it'd be boring as heck. Nobody would pay attention to it. So every news story, every tweet, every Instagram post is already being filtered and being presented through the confirmation bias of the person doing it. So that's step number one. And then step number two is you find yourself, as I find myself, gravitating towards the things that we already believe. I, I guarantee you that for most of us out there, there are a certain TV network that we spend more time with, that we read a certain newspaper, that we look at certain blogs, and virtually, and it's human nature, if you want to get into the psychology of it, it's very human, it's a survival instinct, that we gravitate towards the things that we want to hear, that want to support our current beliefs. Uh, in a way, I found this even more dramatic in my Christian faith. I make no bones about my beliefs, and many people understand that. And I've actually found in my readings, in my studies, that I'm much more likely to read something that supports my belief even if it's something that is uh, theological, and I already have my theological biases, I'll gravitate towards something that supports that. Whereas I would be very hard put to, to read something by, um, say, Richard Dawkins, who's a well-known atheist who writes very uh, voluminously about a very contradictory viewpoint to what I would normally believe. I would have a very difficult time reading that because it was so contrary uh, to my current belief state. So confirmation bias, I want you to think tonight as you're watching the debate, almost even more importantly as you're watching afterwards in the comments, try to be reflective in seeing who's making comments that 
are being filtered through their own confirmation bias, and then which are the ones you're noticing? Where do you catch yourself flipping through the channels? We see this in COVID all the time. We, that's why it's become so dad burn politicized is because of the confirmation bias, because you can cherry pick data. You can pick out a study that supports, you know, most of the studies in journals actually are biased to start with because most journals will only publish what we call positive impact studies. Meaning if they're studying a medicine and it shows a positive impact on a certain disease, that it's much more likely for that journal to publish that study than a study that shows that a certain medication didn't help a disease. It's much more difficult to get that negative study published. But it's just as critical. It's just as important to complete your information. And we see that with stuff about COVID all the time. They'll cherry pick data. People will come in with their preconceived ideas, with their confirmation bias. They'll go through information, cherry pick things out, uh, and decide that that is going to support what their claims are. And then they put that out there as the truth or as big S science. And that's just, that's dangerous. That's, that's, that's why we're in the situation we're in now. People tend to interpret ambiguous evidence as support of their own existing position. The effect is strongest when you already have a desired outcome. If you already think, that's, that's my goal. My point is, my, I'll, I'll use... I'll say convince, but it's truly manipulate someone to believe a certain, uh, a certain uh, opinion. So I'm going to pick information that persuades them to do that, whether or not that information is taken out of context or there's additional information that needs to be presented. If we have a desired outcome, if it's an emotionally charged outcome, if it's an issue that's full that you just mentioned and people get their panties in a wad and go nuts. Those are ripe for confirmation bias and also for deeply entrenched beliefs uh, like my faith, like I talked about earlier. So COVID is very real. There's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of death secondary to the physical effects. I still don't think we know exactly how many of the deaths are truly COVID-related or simply an amalgamation of all the factors. We know that people are at high risk when they have multiple other medical issues. COVID could be an initiator of the dominoes, but to say it is the sole reason for someone's death, it's very difficult and to know how accurate that data is. We don't know how much are due to the despair from the economic changes and damages, from the substance abuse, from the ruinous economy, from missed opportunities to screen for cancer. We don't think about that a lot of times. ER visits are down, believe it or not. The reasons ER visits are down is people are afraid to come in because they're worried about getting exposed to COVID. So people with chest pain who would get adequate treatment, maybe prevent some 
heart damage are not coming in as much, people who are short of breath, people who really need preventive care, even paps and mammograms, and the people who need preventative care are not getting that because of a, a really a largely uh, incorrect fear, unvalid, invalid fear of COVID. And we won't know what impact that's going to have for several years. That's going to be the part of the unintended consequences. And they're just seized with fear because the doom and gloom of the media is just drilling it into their heads. And like I said, they're getting terrified. And it's just only intensified as we've gotten into the fall and we're starting to see cases rise again. Now, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm a doctor with 32 years of experience, and I'm still having problems sorting all this out. So what's the average non-medical person to do? A lot of them are just throwing up their hands, and, and they're just kind of uh, getting very frustrated and angry and fatigued with the whole situation. They've seen their livelihoods affected. Mom and pop shops have closed. People have been laid off. There's not a day that goes by that I don't talk to somebody in the office who has been laid off or had a husband laid off or the kids have had trouble uh, financially. Uh, schools obviously have been impacted tremendously. Uh, the kids are at home bouncing off the walls. I gotta tell you, Poor teachers. I have gained a huge respect for teachers. I see so many teachers in the office, and that's one stressed out bunch, and rightly so. The things that they are expected to do now uh, have markedly affected their stress level and their mental and emotional health. If, if you have a teacher in the family, or you know a teacher, or your kid's teacher, take a minute and write them a note of support. Give them a phone call. Reach out to them. They need it. Next, next to policemen, I think you know, there's a lot of going on in the country now, and I think policemen need our support as much as anybody. But teachers absolutely are really having a difficult time with this. And my, my respect and my prayers go out to each and every one of them. And I challenge you to express your appreciation if you're in that situation where you can say that to a teacher. Uh, you know, we've seen sports be affected and uh, things that are a part of our social fabric. I mean, churches, good gracious, churches have tremendously been affected and you wonder what that's going to do down the road. You wonder how that's going to impact people coming back into congregations. From the very outset, faith and religion has been a communal exercise and we don't know yet how that's going to affect people's individual beliefs and the church as a community, as a whole. We're very social, social creatures. Even introverts who get energy by being alone are starting to have problems. Uh, extroverts certainly are because they get energy from being around people and they can't. So what do we do? Uh, that's where you really get into the controversy. And let me just say this. Uh, the people who talk about uh, politicians or people who uh, uh, change their minds, scientists who change their minds, don't understand science. Science is founded on the principle of prove it wrong. By that I mean 
any discovery in science is only valid if it's been tried to prove wrong over time. In, in, a, in, a, in a way, there's not a lot in the way of, of truth when you're talking simply about science because what is true today may not be true tomorrow. I mean, we used to, we used to treat a lot of stuff by using leeches and bleeding somebody. I think it's what killed George Washington is they bled him too much because he had gallbladder disease. Anyway, the nature of science is for it to change, to evolve, to take the current information and make the best judgment at the moment. So don't accuse the scientists, the doctors, of being wishy-washy or flip-flopping. I don't want somebody who never changes their mind. I don't want somebody, whether they're a politician or a scientist, never able to take different information and come to a different, better conclusion. If they're so pragmatic, I mean, if they're so uh, stoic in their, in their view and they, they are, uh, uh, can only see one viewpoint, I don't have a lot of need for that kind of person. I want somebody taking the information they have at the time, which is different from week to week with this COVID stuff, and don't lambast them for changing their minds because that's the nature of science and many people don't understand that. So uh, let's just take some practical examples. What about masks? Do we, should we mandate masks? Uh, do you ask people who you see that aren't wearing masks to wear masks? Do they even work? Well, personally, I think there's a good enough chance that masks help if for no other reason just to reduce what we call the inoculum. That's the amount of virus that someone could come in contact with. We know there's a dose response. The more virus you get, generally the worse the disease. So anything that might even reduce that a third has a potential benefit for you as an individual. And we also know that it helps reduce the transmission of viruses. Um, so if you get sick, you might not get that sick. It's as simple as that. Personally, quite honestly, if I'm outside and, and, and I'm going into a grocery store or if I'm going into a, uh, a restaurant where I'm going to be inside, I'm going to wear a mask. Now, of course, when I, I'm actually still eating outside at most restaurants, but I, that's my own personal value and that's what I'm going to do. Do I think I have any right to tell you to? No, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think, and I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute, in just a minute. So personally, I wear a mask when I'm out in public. Obviously, I'm wearing a mask all the time in the office as we expect all our, our patients and our staff to do. Uh, whenever I can't distance from people, I'm wearing a mask. Do I wear a mask when I'm out running? No, because there's no evidence that in that scenario, it helps anybody, me or anyone else. So of course I don't. Uh, what about the schools? We talked about the schools. You know, you, you've got to weigh this. Uh, the, the risk of the children is, is really quite small compared to the risk of older people, folks. And I've talked to the teachers, I get it. They're scared to death. I understand that. And a lot of them have many of the comorbidities. So the risk to the teachers is very real. And that's why masking, distancing, 
taking precautions while you can, uh, but gosh, t keeping out of kids out of school is just going to have a ripple effect that's going to really create massive problems I see down the road. Overall, and I think this is important for folks to understand, we're still looking at an overall mortality rate or chance of dying from catching COVID of 0 .5, that's a half of 1%, 0.5%. For people under 18, that's about a, even a tenth of that, like 0 0.005. Now, that, granted, that's about five times the mortality of seasonal flu, and you have to understand that some people, especially if you're in a risk group, you, you, you're going to take it seriously, and you better take it seriously. They wear a mask everywhere they go. They clean off their UPS packages. They clean off their groceries. They wash their hands. Uh, they're not going to go see loved ones. You've got to respect that because that's their perspective. They know they're at high risk. And if you're an anti-masker for whatever reason, you have no right, no right to shame those individuals. The same thing applies the other direction. If you're a masker, then you have no right to shame someone. You don't know the situation. You don't know the other person's head. You don't know their situation. You can form your own beliefs, but to, to publicly or uh, even privately shame them for a decision they're making, I think is just fostering this lack of civility and this lack of, of uh, togetherness that's creating so much of this problem. Uh, folks who are very, very afraid of this virus, are going to look at data that they want to see and it's going to support their fear. Uh, they're gonna be the folks that really are leery of vaccines. Um, they're gonna say they're gonna ride this out until we get a vaccine. Well, the problem is about 40% of the public has now come out and said that they're not sure they're gonna take a vaccine. It probably will mean, if that's the case, that this virus is going to continue to wreak havoc for longer than we need to. But we should have zero tolerance for shaming people based on their value system, based on their beliefs. Because on the, everybody is different. Everybody, this affects everybody different. You, it affects their, if, if you're affecting someone's livelihood, if someone's having to close their business after 20 years, uh, they're going to have a different view of what we do with the economy than someone who uh, is working from home and not suffering that much from economically. So my, my plea is, is just to have tolerance. I'm not... <laughs> I gotta, I gotta admit, I, I, I've never been a big fan of that word because I think it's been misused too much. I think in many cases it's been used as an excuse for not taking side. But when it comes to where we are now with this virus and our perception of people based on this, I think tolerance is not a bad word. So this pandemic, pandemic fatigue is just creating where People, people are just tired of it. They're seeing it through their own lens. That's the only, only way we can see it. Uh, so how do we overcome it? We respect each other's values. We remember that each one of us is not in an envelope. Each one of us is surrounded by our own 
beliefs, our own values, our family beliefs and values. Remember at the very beginning of this, I talked about the viral spiral, not spiraling downward, spiraling upward. And if you remember, I said the first step is taking care of yourself and your family. And then the second step is being kind to others. So it goes back to what we said at the very beginning of this. The way for us to survive this together and to, and to come out on the other side and not be so fatigued about it is take care of yourself and your family and whatever values drive that, you have to decide. You have to be introspective. You have to look at yourself. You have to decide what is important to me and then act accordingly. But then not assume that what's important to you is important to the guy in line next to you. That's just the reality of a social culture. We got to respect each other's values. We understand that none of the science is absolutely clear. If any politician tonight or anytime says we have to pay attention to the biggest science, it's a sign that they really don't understand what science is because there is no absolute at this point. This is what we know 100% about coronavirus and it's going to be the same thing three weeks from now. They don't understand the process. If you meet somebody who's never changed their mind about this, uh, run from them because you can't trust them. It's as simple as that. You know, I heard something the other day, and this is my own rant against politicians. You know, thank goodness most politicians are kind of dumb. The scariest politician is a smart one because those are the folks you got to worry about because they're much more manipulative. When I think about what's going to happen this fall, we're going to see a whole bunch more in the way of cases. It's inevitable. There's not going to be as many deaths. There's not going to be as many hospitalizations. People are going to get it, but they're not going to get as sick. Most of them. I think we need to do a better job at targeting the higher risk folks. We already started talking about how they're going to have priority for the vaccine. I think we got to try to mitigate the economic and social and cultural harms that are coming from this. And it may cost us a little bit initially, but if we don't do it right, it's going to be generational. I think we open the schools as much as practical with certain measures. I think we wear masks whenever we can. Uh, whether you're not, they be you believe them will work. I, th I think that it is, the downside is so minimal with that for most people. We're not going to overwhelm the healthcare system. We've got enough in place to handle things now. We've done a great job at softening the curve. We'll get through it together. We're going to have to start dealing with the mental health fallout. I think that's going to be just as important um, as the fallout economically. You know, wash your hands, keep some distance, avoid large gatherings, understand your risks, understand your family's risks, act accordingly based on those values. Wear a mask when you can't distance, when you're a supermarket or wherever, and uh, realize that nowhere is immune. Uh, it's a very contagious virus. It'll go everywhere eventually. And really, that's it.
that's that's the secret to the fatigue. So I've I've gone on a lot farther, a lot longer. Sorry, I went on a tangent there, but I I wanted to set you up perfectly for the debate tonight. Well, listen, I wanted to just remind you again that we are making some changes in my practice. Hopefully, you've either gotten some information through the Facebook page or through mailings or through emails. Uh, if you haven't heard about what I'm doing with my MDVIP affiliated prevention women's health, enhanced women's health practice, give me a call at the office. Uh, we've got folks there that can answer your questions. You can call me directly uh, on my cell phone, 706-825-8186. I'd be happy to talk to you about what MDVIP can do for you. If you're interested in wellness from a mind-body-spirit approach, that's at the cornerstone and the foundation of this whole process, this whole program. So I encourage you to get the information you need to make a good decision. So with that, I'm going to go get that glass of Merlot like I told you earlier and get ready for the debates. But before then and after then, make healthy choices. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at reaker at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.